This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Payer Issues Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Jerry Allison, a medical director of Molina Health of Texas. Dr. Allison, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Hey, thank you. It's uh, great to be here, and I'm just, uh, thank you for inviting me. Well, I know we've got a lot to talk about, so we can dive right in. What are the top issues that are consuming most of your time today? Well, gosh, there's a lot of issues consuming my time today, I can tell you. Number one would have to be COVID, uh, just like everyone else. But in addition to medical director for managed care, I also continue to practice as a part-time emergency medicine physician. So I see COVID cases on a daily basis when I'm working as well as you know, working with the managed care. And so we spend a lot of time, uh, you know, not only treating, but a lot of our time is dedicated to education and to helping to resolve confusion that patients and the public have, because there's just so much information out there and so much stuff to sift through. So that's uh, certainly occupying a lot of time. But from a managed care standpoint, you know, most of my time is spent on uh, medical necessity and quality improvement. From a medical necessity standpoint, uh, you know, as a managed care medical director, you know, we participate in a review of uh, prior authorizations and uh, inpatient uh, requests, reviews and requests. Uh, you know, if I could, if there's a message we could get out, again, we've been seeing this for years, but there's still a lot of confusion on short-term observation versus uh, what an admission criteria for patients would be. And, you know, we're just trying to help match the, the patient's needs and the costs and get the patient the best care. So we spend a lot of time working with physicians on that. Uh, we also look at overutilization, and there is a trend in overutilization of testing. You know, we, we want our, our members to get the testing and the treatment that they deserve, but uh, there seems to be um, increased uh, uh, genetic testing requests, which can be very costly for members with little impact on outcome. And we see that also with imaging uh, in a lot of cases where uh, images, imaging is requested that isn't going to impact uh, the care of the, the patient or our member. And the other area of, uh, uh, we spend a lot of time looking at is in home health and therapies. And again, this is great because you know, the best way to keep some patients out of the hospital is providing home care care at home and therapy outside the hospital. But there is also a trend towards overutilization. So we, we spend a lot of time reviewing and educating the community on the appropriateness of that. So well, it's, a, it's certainly an interesting part of the job. I, I do believe it's a, a necessary um, part. But the, probably the thing that I spend a lot of time that's most enjoyable is in the quality improvement side. And one of the projects I do here in Texas, one of my main projects, is called Mobile Integrative Health. And a lot of people have probably heard or will be hearing about this, but this is you know, using uh, specially trained pre-hospital professionals to provide care outside the hospital to our high-risk members in order to help get them the care they deserve in the right place, the right time, at the right cost and to help our members avoid unnecessary emergency department visits and hospitalizations. And so I will say that's probably the most fun because that has some of the greatest impact on uh, improving members' lives and reducing 
cost of unnecessary health care. So that's it in a nutshell. That is a lot to, to work on and look forward to, but also so inspiring to hear you talk about how working on the quality improvement, partnering with the providers and making sure that patients have what they need and members are able to access care um, just seems so, so helpful for everybody that needs healthcare today. I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, when you look at um, how you're measuring and growing and developing um, these processes, policies, and systems to figure out, you know, what you want to be looking further into, um, looking at medical necessity, the quality improvements, um, preventing unnecessary hospital visits. How do you develop those? What's the process for really um, bringing those policies together and then rolling them out and working with the healthcare providers on implementing them? Well, well, that's a great question you asked. I appreciate that. And I could spend a couple hours uh, talking about that, but I will give you the quick one. Well, first of all, as you know, we, we have a lot of great data, thank, thankfully, due to claims, authorizations, managed care, our, our, you know, our member information. So we're able to really quickly uh, identify who is most at risk. So we, we, we can do that and stratify them. And we also look at impactability, you know, who can we make a difference with? And uh, you know, now we have internal resources we've used for years to try to reach out. A lot of these high-risk members are difficult to reach. And so sometimes you just have to put boots on the ground. And we've tried that. We've sent nurses and other uh, members of our team out, but it's just not an environment that they're comfortable with or familiar with. But we have this resource in the community. And so I tapped into several of these resources um, that, uh, um, I've been familiar with over time that they've been providing these services for, for years and had them. So the next step was having them present to our managed care organization to help educate uh, the leadership on what those services are and how they can benefit. Uh, from there, we, we developed a business plan, did a review of a uh, uh, return on investment analysis and got the plan to approve the, uh, uh, the programs. And, uh, you know, these, you know, really was just convincing uh, leadership that it's a small investment to, to make a huge difference. And there's a lot more I could go into on how and why of that. But, you know, in internal, we built our team, you know, and so it was reaching out one by one to VPs, AVPs, directors of the different departments within the managed care organization from healthcare services, UM, and uh, quality and finance and, and bringing them together and educating them and building a team that, that believes in the project and uh, is supporting it and continuing it. So it's, uh, it's you know, good project management. Absolutely. That sounds like, um, you know, it's just a really great and efficient way to roll everything out. Now, I know the past couple of years have been really obviously focused on responding to COVID-19 and the pandemic, um, and then looking ahead, that will likely have an impact on how healthcare moves forward. What do you think will be the lasting legacy of COVID-19 on healthcare? I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> I wish I did. But what, what I can tell, what I, what I see right now, and at least what I hope will be lasting legacy, uh, something very simple, hygiene. Right. You know, for, you know, in the hospitals, we always talk about washing hands and covering our mouths. And we've been doing it for years in the OR. And even 
when I travel uh, overseas, passengers from other countries, they've been wearing masks traveling for years, right? This is not uh, really an uncommon practice, but it seems to be unusual when we have a, you know, infectious disease rolling around. But I hope that whether it's COVID or other infectious disease that, that we learn proper hygiene, washing our hands, covering our mouths, you know, and just pre preventing the spread of uh, un unnecessary infections, right? And so um, I, I hope that we learn, but I don't know, history has told us uh, different. We have short memories, but uh, as we can see, like the impact on the flu, whether it was from COVID itself or because of the measures, you know, we have seen a decline in uh, influenza infections as well, as well as the spread of others. So maybe we'll see that. But, uh, you know, on top of that, what I've been really impressed with and hope lasting legacy we'll see is the ingenuity of the American people. Um, the, the, how fast we were able to retool our businesses to, to deliver personal protective equipment, to develop vaccinations and drugs to help fight and to to bypass and realize that maybe some of our, our processes were too long and that we can move things a little bit faster. Um, another challenge we've had to learn about is surge capacity and not just surge capacity from a, a major accident or a, a natural disaster, which is temporary, but a long lasting several years where our patients, but at the same time, impacted by a decrease in uh, health professionals due to the illness. So we've had to figure out how to continue to take care of patients uh, over the long haul. So that's certainly uh, hopefully one of our legacies. You know, like we're talking today, education and working remotely, again, stuff that people have probably been talking about for years and debating in boardrooms and couldn't come up with solutions but by God, we had to come up with one fast. So we can make change fast and we can make things work remotely. We don't have to do it all in one place. And, uh, you know, the use of technology has been a tremendous asset. You know, if this was years ago, a whole nother ballgame. And even, you know, delivery of food and supplies. So, uh, you know, we can, we can change, we can adapt. Uh, I'm really impressed with, with that uh, ability of ours. Um, and again, education, you know, being able to spread information, um, very key. What, what I've learned through COVID, of course, though, is we, we still have to continue to educate people. And there's just so much information. It's confusing information often. And as health professionals, as physicians, we want to spend more time talking, less time being bogged down with unnecessary, you know, paperwork or computer work or whatever it is that, that we do, um, because that's never going to go away. We, you know, there's anxiety, there's confusion. And I think one of the biggest things we can offer is um, education at the, the, the patient's level. So, yeah, I think all of those are <laughs> vision or legacy. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. All of those are really great points. And I love the idea of 
you know, being able to move quickly and figure out how to solve these problems, especially those that, you know, previously we thought were, wouldn't be able to happen or wouldn't be workable in a pre-COVID world, all of a sudden are just commonplace these days. So in, in thinking about that and, and really the innovation that's occurring, how do you see primary care in particular evolving and what will it look like in 10 years or so? That's, that's another great, you know, question. And I, I hope, um, you know, what I see and what actually happens, you know, may not, may not always match up. But certainly, uh, I think there's some great opportunity. I, I think the virtual care is not, not going to go away. You know, over 20 years ago, we were training in our specialties and doing our residencies. We were talking about providing care to, to patients on their terms, right, in their environment. People who work uh, during the day could see the doctor at night or on the weekends or, you know, um, mothers that had children. How do we accommodate them? Yet 20 years later, we still have eight to five, Monday through Friday. Nobody wants to take calls. You know, no weekend clinics in many places, right? Well, all of a sudden now, we, we have to change. So, and thankfully so. So I'm really glad. And, you know, patients would come into the offices just so they could ask the doctor for a lab, go to the lab, get the test, and come back to the office to get the results. Such a waste of time when our health professionals could be spending that time sitting down and providing quality time with patients, educating them about their health care, their problems, their solutions, and helping them to move forward. You know, so I, I'd love to see that. And, you know, part of this, you know, allowing physicians to do their job will be using remote monitoring. We're seeing that now. Uh, hopefully we'll see more of that and more technology assisted care to help take some of the, the burden, the unnecessary burden off the health professionals. Again, allow the physicians, you know, to um, do what they do best, you know, problem solve, educate, think, plan. We don't hardly have time to actually sit and think anymore, right? And plan and, and really ask ourselves, why is this patient suffering from this illness? Or what are these symptoms related to? So we need time for that. So I think if we use our technology and our artificial intelligence appropriately, we will be able to do that. Um, you know, I, I certainly hope we'll see more evidence-based care. Seems through some of these pandemics, uh, we get kind of reactionary. We want to make quick decisions. And then we don't want to question, which is the scientific way. So, you know, we really need to go back to um, practicing evidence-based and research and questioning. Um, I certainly would like to see, and I, I envision the physician as a, a physician-led teams, a multidisciplinary teams, rather than silos where everybody wants to practice medicine, whether you're a physician or a non-physician, but rather be rather working as teams and helping strengths and weaknesses and you know putting the patient at the at the center of um, of our attention so again meaningful face to face we use our resources right and practice more efficiently so and i love to see less fee for service because you know that's just uh, uh you know and being in the fee for service industry and managed care uh you know more quality based outcome based you know patient-centered care is what I think, whether it's 10 or 20 years, you know, 
I don't know her, but uh, um, that's what I would see. That is, you know, a really great picture of what primary care could look like and really, like you said, putting the patient at the center and making sure there's care organized and coordinated around that that patient um, at a convenient time for them. I know, you know, we keep hearing about the um, consumer driven trends and and really, as you mentioned, um, being more convenient on healthcare delivery being so important. And, you know, just the one other thing I was wondering about is when you're looking at um, the primary care resources that we have, I know across the board, there are shortages in um, physicians and primary care in particular. Do you see any um, solutions coming ahead to, to that or how to make sure to still deliver the high level care that patients need um, despite the potentially challenging, um, you know, shortage of physicians in the future? Well, you know, this very controversial topic. Uh, absolutely, I think there's a solution out here. And part of it, you know, we have great specialty care. There is no doubt about it. Surgeons, cardiologists, neurologists, and all these, you know, specialists. Yet we have a big vacuum in primary care. So we try to fill the vacuum with any resource possible. And, you know, there's a, a lot of ways to provide primary care. But I just wonder if we spent more time on primary care and we valued primary care more and then we compensated primary care more, you know, how much could we prevent the need for uh, advanced testing and um, uh, specialty referrals? Not to try to eliminate, I mean, they provide valuable services, but we undervalue the primary care. And so again, people in remote or rural, rural areas, suburban areas may get, less um, access to primary care yet. And, and the reason is that there's just no, you know, the compensation for that care does not match the compensation for specialty care. And then when you go fee for service, you know, people are driven to, to move patients rather than spend time. And we know that the best way to, to help a patient's health improve is to help them understand the problem and the solution. And uh, so we really have a big mismatch in our healthcare system. That's a really great point. And, you know, it would definitely be helpful to have some of those resources more directed towards primary care, because as you said, it's so essential as a important part of the healthcare delivery system. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, where do you see the biggest opportunity for innovation in healthcare today? So, you know, we do a pretty pretty good job taking care of patients in the hospitals. The hospitals are quite different amongst each other. But our goal really is keeping people out of the hospital, right? Just like what I was saying before, if we spend more time focusing on primary care, I believe we keep people healthier. Well, if we spend uh, uh, more focus on pre-hospital, which is what I have a big passion for, I've been working with pre-hospital for over 30 years, and, you know, help our uh, patients in prevention and redirection of care. So rather than going to the emergency department or the hospital because they have nowhere else to go, but we can engage our pre-hospital resources to, to partner with us. So I think that's a great opportunity for innovation. The other one is, uh, and you know, the problem with that being with managed care, you know, managed care has always thought about pre-hospital from a transportation standpoint. So now we're just paying you to take patients from point A to point B. What they forgot, though, is that when they go to point B, they're obviously paying additional fees to those services, those hospitals. 
So if they could incentivize our pre-hospital providers to take patients to appropriate care or to redirect them, they could actually save or um, uh, avoid, you know, uh, costs down the line. And, uh, you know, ET3 model with CMS pilot going, you know, they've been trying to uh, implement over the last couple of years, does some of that. But we've, we've already shown that there's benefit there. The other part is in the trans is the post-acute care. So when the patient does leave the hospital, how do we um, transition them back to the primary care, whether it's through home health, rehab, and getting their you know, primary care involved? Uh, because that's not going to happen in the next three days. So we have resources in the community to help trans transition those um, uh, patients and, again, avoid things like hospital readmission. So I think we're on our way there, but there's still a lot more attention and priority. Um, and I certainly, as I said earlier, uh, you know, the tiered healthcare workforce, you know, we have a great resource of multidisciplinary, you know, team members. We need to work together and, and use non-traditional uh, workforce as well. Um, you know, if, if you've ever tried, <laughs> had to go to the hospital for a family member or yourself, you know how difficult it is to navigate the healthcare system, right? Uh, even as a health professional myself, if I have to go to the hospital, it's very difficult. It's confusing. Um, so how much more for our members, our patients, right? So we need to find ways to, to help them, to educate them, and uh, uh, help them navigate the, the system. You say, go make an appointment with Dr. So, you know, that's challenging. So we, we've got to work uh, better with that. You know, I, I do believe, you know, one of the keys is Bringing our healthcare, it's not a, not a new concept, right? Bring the healthcare to the patient. We, we keep expecting the patients to go to the big hospitals and the clinics and the doctor's offices. And it's just not convenient. It's not uh, for a variety of reasons, whether it's transportation, location, cost. You know, the reason things like urgent cares, freestanding emergency departments, EMS years ago popped up and became popular is because it brought healthcare to the patient. So I think we need to continue to facilitate that, but at the same time, boy, can that be confusing. How do I know if I need a doctor, which I can't get into unless it's eight to five, and you know, if I have COVID, they don't want to see me. So should I go to urgent care? Oh no, that's an emergency. When I go to emergency room, no, that's an urgent care visit. You know, so it is confusing for the patient. But I think there's also value in bringing that health care to the patient. So I don't have the solution to that one, but definitely. I think there's opportunity to find ways to design these systems and um, to meet the patient's needs, because that's what we need is to provide the care at, at the patient's you know, uh, convenience, basically. If we want compliance, right, you, know, you could try to force them, but if you want the patients to be compliant, to take interest in their care, then we have to take interest in their needs. So, you know, just kind of a summary, you know, a uh, little bit of technology. You know, using artificial intelligence intelligently, um, not getting lazy and, and allowing it to, um, uh, allowing the physicians to get lazy, um, remote care, and uh, of course, prevention education. So that's uh, pretty much where I see the future. 
Well, Dr. Allison, that's a great future. And I love those points. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really great discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. No, thank you for uh, giving the opportunity. I appreciate your your questions and uh, hopefully we'll see more of you in the future too. Thank you.